0: In a complex world brimming with new ambitions, the best leaders create the best workplaces. This is the Oil & Gas Digital Doers podcast, where you can hear real stories about digital capabilities and a culture of empowerment with your host, Joanne Meyer.
1: So welcome to the Oil & Gas Global Network's Digital Doers Podcast. And um, the Oil & Gas Network, which we fondly call OGGN, is the largest uh, community of um, oil and gas podcasts in the world. Uh, We just hit a milestone a couple of weeks ago where we now have listeners on the OGGN platform from every country in the world. I think I heard that Lithuania was the last one and so now uh there are about um uh, oh 13 or so 14 different podcasts on the OGGN network and um Digital Doers is the one you're listening to today but check out some of the others. Um also want to of course say thank you to you listeners that that figured out how to hit all of the right uh, buttons on whatever device you're using so you could join in and listen today. We're going to talk today about data analytics a lot, I think, and um, really looking forward as that is a very hot topic, as everyone knows. We not only want access to our data, but we want to be able to get insights out of it so that it actually is useful to us. So we're going to uh, kick off that conversation. Um, Also want to say, though, before we get started, thank you to HPE. And, you know, HPE, that's our sponsor. um, They have a whole uh, group of experienced um, oil and gas subject matter experts and technology experts, um, just all dedicated to the oil and gas um, industry. So, You know, uh, give HPE a call or look them up online, hpe.com. If you do, you probably will see um, that they're talking a lot these days on their platform about their GreenLake, their new GreenLake platform. And um, it's all about edge to cloud uh, uh, computing and and cloud services, uh, providing those on-prem so you can get... Um, the functionality and the ease of use um, wherever your data and applications reside. Um, and so that's what uh, that GreenLake platform is about. So go take a look and maybe give those folks over there a call. Um, the other thing I'm going to say is I'd love for you to, in the show notes today, you will see a couple of links. One is for a real quick one question survey. It's so that we can gather a little data. It should take you about 10 seconds. And then there's another link there where you can click and it'll take you so you can leave us a review. I'd like to hear what you think about uh, what you're hearing and maybe what you'd like to hear and maybe what you don't like. But really appreciate um, those reviews. I think I'm going to start reading some of those on uh, at the beginning of the show. So if you would do those couple of things, I'd really appreciate it. And with that, that's going to get us through all of our, all of our, um, the kind of the essential things we want to say, uh, and let's move on to the fun stuff, where we actually are going to talk today with Dave Supp. Um, and Dave is the Chief Digital Officer and Vice President of Digital Services for EAG Services. Um, Dave, we were just talking about this. Dave is a native pennsylvanian and i think a native Pittsburgher. Pittsburgher, that's right okay he's a native pittsburgh i learned just now that that's what people from pittsburgh they call themselves is the pittsburghers um he went to school at uh got his got his undergraduate degree um from carnegie mellon and then went on to get uh, an mba from the university of pittsburgh and not only was he doing all of the, the schoolwork and everything, but while he was in college, he also was an NCAA, All-American, um, for distance running. And he continues to do that. He said he just moved to Houston in the summer, the best time to move to Houston. <laughs> and so I think he's he's become a a, a a runner in the dark, he says, either before the sun comes up or after it goes down. So. Um, maybe Dave will tell us a little bit about the running experiences here in Houston. Um, he's been, um, very, you know, he's been focused. He focuses on helping E and P and the midstream clients clients all around automating manual processes, enabling data-driven decision-making, hence the data analytics and maximizing the value of their technology investments. um, He was uh, has spent some time with Deloitte. He was a senior manager there with their oil and gas practice. I guess it looks like he spent maybe almost a decade there with them, um, in all kinds of areas. And um, and uh, actually, he sounds like he spent a little time in the Marcellus, uh, working around the Marcellus shale, which is not a big surprise if you were up in the Northeast. And so, um, with that, I didn't hit everything. But Dave, what else would you like to tell us about your background or? Your recent running experiences here in Houston—that's
0: uh, great, Joanne. Thank you for the for the kind intro. Um, you covered a lot of my experience, and man, that's a lot of years. As I start looking back across across that, um, yeah, I am a Pittsburgher. I started in Pittsburgh uh, for a company called USX, who at that time was um, uh, held positions in both US Steel and Marathon Oil. So you know, okay. from an early Early uh, in my career, I was exposed to the oil and gas industry. Um, and then around 99, I went to Deloitte and I did spend 10 years in their oil and gas strategy and ops practice before coming back to Pittsburgh uh, around the time the Marcellus Shell was just getting big.
1: yeah.
0: So, you know, I was I was living in Houston at the time um, I was living in. Sorry, I was living in Chicago at the time and traveling to Houston quite a bit and never really thought I'd go back to Pittsburgh Uh, but all of a sudden Pittsburgh became sort of like this, uh, this hub of oil and gas activity around the Marcellus and then later the Utica. Um, and that, you know, sort of serendipitous for me, it brought me back home, uh, in the industry that, uh, I had chosen in a way that I, I never really imagined, you know, when I started out.
1: Right. Right. Um, and so you came back, so, um, this is your first time living in Houston?
0: Dave. Yeah, it's my first time. I've got a new zip code here in Houston, and uh, there's a bit of a story behind that. Um, you know, so I've been with EAG for about three years. A lot of my clients are based in Houston, and EAG's headquarters is in Houston. But like a lot of companies, um, a lot of our folks kind of work remote, and it's okay to live in one city, and and you know have a headquarters in another. Right. Um, and the thing that really changed it all for me was you know my wife and I we have one child our son and uh he decided to to enroll at texas a&m so he's a freshman there now in their engineering program and and, but for that i may not have been able to convince my wife to 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 move but you know since since he enrolled i couldn't stop her from getting closer (laughs) she
1: she couldn't get down here fast enough i totally get that yeah
0: that's right yeah Yeah. so uh yeah we're, we're here in houston now and uh we're heading up to College Station tomorrow to watch uh, the Aggies uh, face off with the Gators.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting. I uh, just, I I had a, uh, uh, recorded an episode a little earlier this morning, and uh, we started off by talking about uh, my guest was in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Oh, and really? so I said, yeah, there's a big rivalry uh, as the, uh, Crimson Tide heads over to the LSU, um, stadium. So this is a football. We're starting off our, our conversations today on, around football. That's a, that's certainly a big part of, uh, the Texas culture as I, I know. So, you know, there's some, um, are you going, are you, a lot? do you still continue to kind of do long distance running Dave?
0: I do. I do. I, I uh, these days, you know, I'm a big metrics guy and, uh, Running is all about you know your your pace and all that. But these days, I either capture my my time that I'm running or the distance. I try not to do both because I'm running a bit slower, I think, these days <laughs> than I used to.
1: Well, but uh, as long as you know what those uh, KPIs are, you can you can always change them, right?
0: That's true. That's true. Yeah.
1: So so Dave, tell us a little bit about. Um, EAG services in general, and then we're going to get into the data analytics. But what kind of of clients do you work across? Many industries.
0: Uh, we, work, we, we work pretty much exclusively in oil and gas. Okay, great. Um, in energy services industry, so uh, upstream and midstream primarily are the types of customers that that we're interacting with, you know, okay. day in day out. Great. And we provide a, a variety of services to those customers. Um, so, you know, my group, uh, we build you know, commercial products that they can, they can use to advance um, things like their reporting strategies or workflows um, or other add-ons to ERP systems that they can take advantage of. Uh, we have a large services organization that's focused on implementing uh, enterprise systems. Or helping companies through acquisitions and divestitures, among other things. Uh, then we also have a back office outsourcing group, REAG One Source Group, uh, that manages the back office for a large number of clients, uh, you know, performing their accounting and land administration services.
1: Got it. Got it. So, so it's a big company.
0: I think we were when I started three years ago, we were around 70 or so employees, and we're, we're well over 200 now. It's been pretty pretty wow. growth.
1: Wow! Yes, and it sounds like you are pretty focused in the oil and gas um, space. So uh, so excellent, excellent to to hear to learn a little bit about what what you what you do. Um, and so let's talk about data analytics a little bit. Um, what are some of the the challenges or the focus um, that companies have? What are they trying to get out of that data? Um, you know what what kind of challenges are they having?
0: Yeah, so um, you know one of the places we we start when our when our clients call, a lot of times it's just um, they're not getting what they want out of maybe the standard out of the box reports that come with an ERP solution. and they want a more modern set of tools where they can, easily summarize data, drill down to details, um, pivot the data easily, filter it, um, and get to a closer semblance of self-service, as opposed to the, the, the older way of building static reports and you know having a library of these static reports that are used for various scenarios. Um, so that's usually a place where people start. Um, let's take a look at the common back office and financials and let's get our house in order so that we have a good understanding of, you know, speaking of KPIs, you know, the ultimate KPIs that you need for a business are your back office financials and reporting. So uh, do we have reliable and easy to generate financial statements, uh, lease operating statements that we can use to really understand how our wells are performing um, at a gross and a net level? um understanding the cash flow position of the company uh their accounts payable accounts receivable uh joint interest billing um that. budgets yeah. that's a, a place where a lot of companies start because the 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 traditional out of the box static reports just don't really fit the needs of um what people expect today
1: and so I'm wondering, are you getting a lot of pull um, for some of the non-financial metrics that are becoming increasingly um, important with some new SEC rulings about uh, reporting around ESG, um, you know, the environmental, social and governance? Are you feeling yes. any pull for those?
0: yes like the whole ESG or the whole environmental health and safety space is a, is a very big space I mean from a safety perspective uh, just looking at vendor safety performance and as you get into the environmental uh, sources of emissions tracking and managing sources of emissions and uh, showing a steady progress to reducing those emissions is a big goal of just about every every one of our of our customers today uh, whether it's you know, for compliance with SEC or just for good corporate stewardship, uh, that's become important to uh, shareholders as well across the industry.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I think that that's absolutely true. And so, and a
0: combination of um, you know, that's where we really get into it, as they call the it, ITOT space. Uh, there's a lot of operational technology that can be applied to the field that can help with emissions. Um, but if you can't track it and report on it effectively, then it's it's um, it's kind of impossible to measure the impact that you're having and to show uh, that steady progress that all, all companies want to show that they're being good stewards. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Because I was going to say, I suspect that there are a few companies or maybe more than a few um, who um, didn't and still maybe don't capture some of that data. And, um, so, you know, like you're kind of in that OT space, you got to kind of get up to speed there b- before you can have some, some data, um, to use.
0: That's right. Um, and you know, just about every company that I, that I work with has a program like that in place that combines both of those. What do we have to do in the field? What measurement needs to be put in place or what, um, New technology needs to be put in place such that we can limit the amount of emissions. But, m- the, and where my expertise gets uh, can help uh, advance those companies is how do you measure that? How do you bring that data into an analytics platform that can show um, all of your sources of emissions, what they're producing, and how you're reducing that over time?
1: Okay, great, great. Like I said, i can I can only imagine how. And I think if I remember, I don't I'm sure the SEC is um, um, I don't I say that, I don't know for sure, but there were some pretty aggressive timelines uh, when the SEC first came out with some of these um, proposed rules back in the spring, I think I mean, it was pretty quick on how quickly they wanted to, you know, start seeing some of that reporting.
0: Yeah, that's, that's, that's true. And, uh, you know, as you're aware in this industry, one of the real challenges is how, um, the M and A aspect of it, you know, these assets change hands so frequently, uh, that getting your arms around, uh, how to incorporate a new set of assets into your EHS program is, is a real challenge for a lot of companies because yeah. it's one thing to say, well, it should be easy. You just go out into the field, you apply a consistent set of measurement devices in the field and you bring it all in, but that's not how our industry works. Our industry is, you know, assets swap and they they, they trade hands and change hands frequently. Uh, so uh, EHS managers have a constant challenge on their hands.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's, that's, that's true. And so it sounds like, because I I was wondering where the pull, you know, for your services comes from, is it from, the IT organization, or is it kind of from the business? Um, you know, the IT folks are trying to provide some leadership, right about around, you know, the, the tools that they have that could help the company meet its goals and objectives. Uh, so that's kind of at one level, one kind of strategic level, but then you also have folks like you that mentioned the EHS folks and, and others, um, at the field who are, you know, continually maybe struggling with, uh, uh, I don't know efficiency, or or e- even more fundamental than that. And so, where where is the pull? Sounds like a little bit from the OTEHS folks.
0: Yeah, it, I mean, we we talk to uh, CFOs, CIOs, and, and COOs, and depending on how your organization is structured, um, there you know the demand and pull can come from any any of those directions. Um, I mentioned the financials and getting the back office house in order first because it tends to become the backbone for a, a strong data analytics platform. So, for example, if um, if you're looking at AFEs, you may start just with your budget to actual, but then as you bring in operations, you'll be looking at your your daily reports and you know what's happening at the well site each day and bringing that information to enrich that that set of forecasts. Um, Likewise, uh, reserves engineers, they're very tech-savvy. They're very good at statistical analysis in performing uh, visualizations using tools like Spotfire and other tools, Um, but they need to combine production data with their reserve engineering type curves and economic data from the financial system in order to produce the kinds of reports that answer the questions they're trying to answer. Right. What is this well's performance? Is it time can I justify the expense of a workover or you know what is my my a forecast for this well?
1: Are we reaching an economic limit or yeah right exactly. Yeah.
0: so it um, the poll can come from any one group but usually requires a platform and buy-in from a, a central group, whoever that might be in the organization. Uh, and oftentimes that is IT who is, who is seeing across all the needs of the different teams and trying to build that platform where we can consolidate the data from various sources to make those kinds of insights.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so tell me a little, uh, I can remember a long, long time ago when I was, uh, um, in the, uh, E and P space working for, um, upstream companies. um, Data, just the quality of data. I mean, we all yeah. wanted to do great analysis, but you know we, we used to talk about the garbage in garbage out, and sometimes the quality of our data was a little lacking. Um, are we getting better uh, at data quality, building that into our everyday work?
0: I think the answer is yes, there's two two ways to answer that. One, yes, data quality is getting better. Um, a lot of the systems that are being put in place, the ERPs and other systems, are enforcing that data quality at the front end. Um, but the tools that we can use to evaluate the quality of data are also getting better, as well as the tools to perform like what I'll call like data wrangling activities. Uh, when you identify issues with data and you can call out those outliers and even, um, uh, you know, massage that data so that it can be reported upon more effectively those tool sets are, are becoming very common uh, very affordable and a lot of users in the oil and gas space are very tech savvy these days yeah you take advantage of those
1: yep well I think that's good news I um, I spent a couple of years with um, one of the large um, global, Uh, management consulting companies. And I remember hearing one of their senior folks say one time we were with a a client and um, we were getting ready to kick off a large ERP project. And I remember he said, uh, somebody said, do you have any advice? And he said, "Uh, go get in the middle of your data as early as you can, because it's going to be worse than you think. And <laughs> I thought, and and that, that there was a lot of truth to that back then. But it does sound like there's been some advancement in, okay, well, what if, it, number one, advancement in uh, can we kind of error-proof this so that you can't yeah. put bad data in to begin with? And then if we don't have good data, it sounds like you're getting some technological help to wrangle, like you said, uh, to, to, to repair, fix, get some of that better, that, some of that data, the little higher quality.
0: Yeah, that's true. And it's funny you mentioned, um, you mentioned this, uh, one of the things that we've been doing at EAG is, uh, we build a, what we call like a standard set of report packs that, you know, can work against almost any ERP system and uh, when we built them, I thought that the main pitch was going to be, well, this is a modern experience. This is a better view and you can drill down. And I was very excited to show this. Uh, but what I'm hearing from a lot of clients is we want, we want that because we want to put it on top of our data and we want it to show us where we have issues. Ah. And that's a, and it's funny, we we've, we've done that a couple of times for customers. We said, okay, here, this set of reports, as designed for your systems, Uh, let's hook it up and let's see what shows up in the reports. And right away, we can see issues where um, master data is misaligned, account codes aren't properly in the hierarchy, um, or any number of issues where data is missing or data is um, not enabling the reports to work as designed. And that turns into, it, it helps target and helps you focus on where to spend your data cleanup effort?
1: Yeah, it provides a little transparency around your, the the defects that you have in your data.
0: That's right. You never want to wait until you have perfect data to try to build analytics and reports on it. You know, start with the analytics and reports, and it will show you where your data needs attention.
1: Yeah. Uh, yep. Um, I think that's that's interesting. That's been. Um, you know, it was kind of my experience. I mentioned many, many years ago, I was, uh, you know, it was in a position where I had to use data and, you know, I always thought and probably heard this from somebody wise that, um, you know, your data quality goes up as you use your data, right? Because as you're using it, then you see what, what's not working. Right. And you can then, like you say, you can focus your efforts, but, um, You know, some system that people are just feeding data in and nobody's ever really getting anything out of, um, it's tough to keep that data in good shape.
0: That's right. Um, And there's like, there's like sort of the intrinsic internal data quality for a given system, and then there's quality across the enterprise, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: where you get into topics like master data management and you know, am I able to link data between my reserves systems, my asset management systems, my financial systems, my my subsurface systems? Do I have common keys and codes that actually link those systems together to produce new insights? That's sort of like the the next level.
1: Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Yes. Um, yeah, data, data. Um, and so, Tell me, then, how do companies, how do they go about evaluating and selecting, like, data analytics platforms?
0: Yeah. Um, so, so some companies I've seen, you know, sort of, sort of top-down, somebody at a higher level has a vision and a strategy, and they are uh, a Microsoft shop, and they're going to standardize on a Microsoft stack, or they're an, uh, an Amazon Web Services shop, and they want to standardize on that platform. Um, and that's common as in, in larger companies where you've got a strong CIO presence who's sort of setting a vision, uh, considering costs, considering the needs of all of the business units. Um, and then in other cases, uh, you see it sort of spring up within a specific business unit where um, you know, you've got a, a reservoir engineering team who are very big on Spotfire. Um, maybe they're into. Hadoop or other large data sets and something springs up within a business unit and then has to be incorporated into a broader platform. Um, But these days, the nice thing about it is with cloud services, it's very easy to get started. It's very low cost to get started and you can turn that cost on and off as cycles change. In the past, it required such a very large investment to even get started uh, that you know, it was very cyclical in nature. When prices were high, people would make big investments. When it tanked, you know, you carry this large cost. Uh, these days with cloud services, um, we're seeing some clients experiment with multiple platforms um, or embrace the use of a, of a multiple platform strategy and they can turn them down and up as needs change. So if drilling, uh, actually tails off with a low price environment, they can shut down that aspect of their data analytics and eliminate that cost, and turn it back on when the cycle shifts.
1: So the data potentially is still being captured, but it's just- The
0: power you're paying for, depending on which platform you choose. Okay. uh, Storage is is relatively cheap these days, uh, but the compute, to analyze is where you end up paying a lot of the money and you can just dial those servers down and, uh, minimize that cost and then start it back up at a future point.
1: Wow. That is uh, pretty, um, customer focused. I think
0: it's a big game changer for oil and gas in particular, or any cyclical industry, uh, like ours and, you know, companies that realize that and, um, are, are conscious of of those cycles and of the cost are really focused on those kind of models where they can kind of pay as they go and they don't have to make those very large upfront capital intensive investments.
1: Wow, that's that's huge because, you know, just as we, we started off this conversation a little bit about KPIs and uh, I know there's a standard set that most people are going to look at But, um, those priorities and, and trying to understand and drill down and really understand what the challenges, the obstacles, what's keeping you from getting to that goal or objective, that's not always standard. In fact, seldom is. And so the ability to, like you say, kind of pay as you go, uh, and focus, spend your dollars, uh, where it's going to give you the biggest bang for your buck right now.
0: That's right. I mean, if you're running 20 rigs or 10 rigs, it, uh, your focus of your KPIs is very different than if you're if you're not running rigs,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. and
0: you're focused really just on operating the wells that you have and maximizing maximizing their their profitability.
1: Yeah, yeah, excellent. So, tell me about how tough is it? Um, so I it what I think I maybe hear you saying is. Uh, you know, data analytics—that um, skill—is, um, uh, I think, to be really good at that is not easy. Um, to to be really good at uh, you know all the statistical capabilities that you need, but what I think I might be hearing you say is, if you have the right data analytics platform, you can get a great deal of help from the technology. In actually doing that analysis
0: yeah that's that's true like the way I like to think about it is for first for CIOs if you're in that role you want to build a platform you want to have you want to collect the data and house the data in your environment uh, there's a lot of companies that would like you to ship your data to them and they have data scientists and they'll perform the analysis on it uh, my preference generally is like bring the data scientists to your data um, and you mentioned also that this data analytics skill is, is a, is a uh, it's a field and a discipline and it is complex and requires people that are good at statistics and data modeling, et cetera. But what I'm, the biggest shift I've seen is, uh, when I look at this new generation that's coming through college, these new engineers, like they, they have that skill. They're, they're coming into the field. They know things like R and Python and, and JavaScript, and they expect to have access to data to be able to perform this analysis. Um, you know, I mentioned you, we were talking about our, 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 our children in college. So my son's a freshman at a and this year. He's in their engineering program, and he's trying to make a decision. Uh, like at a and you start off as a general engineer, and then you focus after your first t- two or three semesters. So he's trying to decide between... Data engineering, computer science, computer engineering, or traditional electrical, mechanical. And um, the coursework for all those programs is pretty much the same for the first year and a half.
1: And it's a lot around data, huh?
0: It's a lot around data. And um, any petroleum engineers that are entering the workforce, they are probably more skilled than you would think and their expectations for having modern tools and access to rich data sets uh, is is something that they expect of companies now when they're starting That's a- so the role of the cio has kind of shifted from the person the team that builds reports the team that builds analytics to the team that provides a platform and provides data and provides the tool sets to these, what I call like citizen data scientists or citizen data analysts. Um, it's not like when I was in school, like I went to Carnegie Mellon, I got my degree in computer information systems and I had a unique skill that most people didn't have. Now that skill is kind of baked into a lot of these degrees.
1: Mm. Yeah. I think that's a really good point though, that, that we need to think about if we want to have winning workplaces, if you will, is like you say, what did you call them um, these citizen data analysts? Um, sometimes really. I, I think it might be the same. Sometimes people refer to the these as the uh, although, Yours is a little more. Sometimes people, I think, refer to uh, this generate this the younger generations as the digital natives. But you're going even beyond that. Not just that they're savvy around you know digital capabilities and the digital tools and everything, but it's this data uh, uh, strength and this analytic strength and this, like you say, if companies. Um, want to keep these folks, then they do need to be sure that they have access to that data.
0: That's right. That's right. Um, you know, a lot of the traditional IT, business IT degrees, you know, I, I can have, and I do have a, a team of IT professionals. They're, they're sharp at SQL. They know tools like Power BI and Spotfire, and they have business acumen in accounting, etc and they can build the reports that we've all seen forever, right? The LOS statements and those types of reports. But it's very hard for an IT organization to keep um, domain experts like petroleum engineers or reservoir engineers or subsurface folks, like that's not the role of today's IT. Um, IT is there just to, to give them the platform, give them access to the data, provision the tools, and then the, the, the next order is governance. So right. once the citizen data scientists begin producing useful insights and reports that you wish to share beyond their group, uh, the governance platform really comes into place around, are we sure that the data is based on the right s- source system and the authoritative source? Um, have you vetted it? Are we ready to, to make decisions across teams with this data? Right,
1: right, right. Well, listen, Dave, thank you very much for joining us today and, uh, great conversation about data analytics and how it's valuable for the company and, and, uh, why it's important, um, for, you know, attracting and retaining talent. And, um, I don't, uh, yeah, it's not a, it's not a topic. It's not a skill, um, that's going away anytime soon, um, We have become very, in all parts of our life, we are very um, focused on data, aren't we?
0: Excellent. Thank you so much, Joanne. I really appreciate it. appreciate the chance to sit down with you.
1: Great. Well, listen, thank you for being here. And we hope that uh, you'll start enjoying some of our fall weather that we have here and with the running, Dave. Uh, It's a little nicer these days than it was in August, I think. And maybe... It won't be as cold and everything in the, in the winter for that, that run.
0: That's right. I, I am looking forward to being able to run, uh, here in the flats without having to worry about slipping on the ice. Yeah.
1: Good. Great. Okay. So this, uh, we'll wrap up then this episode, uh, with Dave Supp um, and EAG services. And, um, again, I'd like to say thank you to HPE and like I said, go go check them out online or, or give that oil and gas team a call. Um, thank you uh, to all of you who listened. And again, please check out the show notes where you'll have an opportunity to uh, go and take a look at EAG services. Um, and also, if you take a look at those two links, one for the review and one for that quick survey, I would greatly appreciate it. So until next time, um, so long from the Digital Doers podcast.
0: Come back next week for another venture into the real world of the best digital doers in the oil and gas industry, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.